Welcome to the next episode of I Really Should Be Working. My guest this time is the acclaimed director of Ten Till Noon, Official Rejection, Favor, and Cruel Hearts, which is currently on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it while you're waiting for your toilet paper to show up. Paul Osborne, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Lucas. How you doing? I'm doing well. Look, quick correction. I didn't actually direct 10 Till Noon. I wrote 10 Till Noon. Oh. Scott Storm directed 10 Till Noon. Scott Storm is listening to this podcast right now and his head just exploded. <laughs> He's like, I didn't, he didn't direct. Because a lot of, because we were both very, uh, you know, I wrote it, he directed it. It was a total group effort. And we went on the festival circuit with it. Sometimes they would screw up and they'd put my name down as director on the program. So he would, uh, he bust. He's like, I worked so hard on this movie, man. <laughs> People people love when their credit is given to somebody else. That's one thing I've learned in life. Yeah, it's understandable. I totally understand why Scott would want to shoot up a 7-Eleven you know, whenever, <laughs> whenever someone credits me with his work. But I wrote it. I wrote it. I did write it, but uh, he directed it and did a wonderful job. Scott, if you're listening, you did a great job. So my first question is always in this podcast of whatever it is, how are you holding up? Uh, I'm actually holding up surprisingly well. Um, I mean, you know, there's the stress of the world outside, but uh, I can work from home. My wife can work from home. Um, my kids are loving virtual school because they hate leaving the house. Um, I was a, uh, an only child. I mean, I am an only child. My wife is an only child. We're both 80s latchkey kids. So this is like, this is like every vacation <laughs> I had as a kid. Oh, more than that. We were both on an experimental school system where they said the vacations falling in the summer, they fell in, in random two month intervals. So mine was in the spring in the I remember fall. That. Yeah. It's called, it was called concept six. And we were the only, our, it was our section of the County. So all my friends who were in other schools were on off during the summer when I was in school. And a lot of my other friends at my own school had different vacation schedules. So I was on vacation. So I didn't even have friends to play with. Plus there was no one in my neighborhood anyway. Exactly. So I couldn't, I couldn't even call people. So me being uh, alone in my house with my wife and it is actually kind of crowded. Um, love not having a drive because I live in LA and, uh, and working from home where, where I do a lot of, um, to feed myself, I do a lot of TV promo work and TV is very busy right now because everybody's watching it. So I'm actually busy and I have no problem telling what day of the week it is because I have, I have deadlines, man. So, so you're right in, right in your wheelhouse. I really am. I got really lucky. Um, we did sell one of our cars because it was older and we planned to get rid of it and upgrade anyway. So we just got rid of it to save on the insurance. We're not driving. Um, it's kind of awesome. Like I'm getting a lot more sleep. Um, and my wife and I cracked out all, all the puzzles we meant to do. So instead of, <laughs> instead of our drive time after work, we're like doing puzzles and having dinner. It's kind of nice. Cool. I told someone at the grocery store, I was like, this is kind of what we do anyway. It's just, we can't go to the bar next door yeah, to work, yeah. and we can't yeah. like drop the children off at grandma's house. Yeah, I miss going to the movies. Uh, I miss sure. film festivals um, and miss hanging out with people. Uh, there's that, but you know, but we're really, we're really fortunate. So far everybody's healthy. Um, uh, it's a little stressful on the, the older uh, kids because one of them's graduating college mm -hmm. and one of them's graduating high school, virtual graduations. And the poor high school kid, cause he's like, you know, he's, planning on leaving LA and it's, it's, uh, it's like, it's my last time to spend time with my friends, social popular kid, no prom, no parties, no nothing. Just you know, home at home with mom and dad. Like that's all it is. Ugh. All right. So my first question, well, I guess my second question is you kind of like 
everybody heard about you originally from Official Rejection, which is the documentary about film festivals. Mm -hmm. So where, and film festivals are really, really in flux at the moment. So where do you think that's gonna land? Um, I think that festival, I think the festival, the fate of festivals is tied to the fate of live theater, live cinema, live, you know, going to the cinema to see movies. I still prefer that. I still prefer going out to see the movies. The thing that's festivals survived on um, a different kind of window from a regular release in that, you know, if the latest Chris Nolan movie could be seen everywhere, it's in 3,500 screens, any theater you go to, there's a screen or two playing that movie. But with a film festival, this is stuff you haven't seen before. This is stuff you can really only see here. This stuff may never be seen again. It's playing in this very small window. And when a festival cultivates its audience correctly, um, they're coming out for the festival to see different kinds of stuff. And uh, this usually filmmakers in attendance and you get to do one-on-one -on -one interaction with them. It's a very, it's a, it's a, there's an exclusivity to it um, that drives people to get in the car and go buy a ticket or a pass. Um, that said, if theaters don't exist <laughs> because their main business, uh, regular releases uh, ebbs away, um, then, uh, then festivals may have a hard time surviving or they may have a hard time finding sponsors. If sponsors, perception is reality. If, if you know, if uh, Stella Artois, which sponsors every film festival on the planet, um, if they go, you know, we don't think there's any money in any, no one's going to these anymore because we think that, whether it's true or not. So we're not gonna put any money into it. Suddenly the festival has a much harder time putting on a show because they lose, they lose that sponsor. Um, on the flip though, I don't think that the virtual festival is gonna survive. And the reason is that most indie distribution, I mean, there's a little bit of theatrical, but almost all of it's online, almost all of it's VOD, almost all of it's you know, transactional VOD for the first few months, then uh, subscription VOD for the next few months, and then it goes down to ad supported VOD, some Blu-ray, some DVD, but pretty much that's where indie film lives. And if you were making your film available to rent at the Chattanooga Film Festival online, you're cutting into your distributor's audience. So, just, so whereas when you played a live festival, playing a bunch of live festivals made you much more appealing to a distributor. They go, oh, you've played in theaters, the word's gotten out, people are aware of your movie, it's been a few months, they might wanna see it again, they'll tell their friends about it, there's all this press about it. People, everybody that went to the Chattanooga Film Festival, whether they saw it or not, were exposed to your name in their flyer. This makes you, you've built an audience for the movie doing the festival circuits for appealing. With the virtual festival, they go, oh, well, 100 people rented your movie at the Chattanooga Film Festival for 10 bucks, they're not gonna wanna rent it again on, to watch it on iTunes. They're not gonna wanna watch it again. On, it's, it's, it, it dilutes, it does, it dilutes the same market pool that a, 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 a distributor needs. So unless festivals are gonna share revenue with filmmakers online actively and, and, and also you know, um, do region limiting on where you can rent the film, they're gonna have a really hard time sustaining that. Either filmmakers are gonna have to choose, I either play at a festival online or I have distribution. It's almost gonna come down to that, I think, if it, if, it, if it goes on. I could be wrong, but I know myself personally, we're fortunate because Cruel Hearts was on the festival circuit last year. So we avoided all this, but, but I've always avoided online festivals. And I know this year I would probably pull from online festivals if this was my festival year. Because again, you, you don't want to dilute your revenue pool or even a perceived revenue pool for your distributor. Do you though, if in your if you're in a situation 
of 2020 where there's no festivals and they're all on they're all virtual yeah. you have the problem where if you're a first-time filmmaker it's horrible you can't get you need the film festivals to sort of vouch for you to the distributors yeah so you're then looking at do i want to get 30 percent of this number or do i want to get 100 percent of nothing you you almost have to i mean i think the choice is almost if you have a built-in audience of some kind as a as a if you're a first time filmmaker, but you've done, you have a YouTube channel, you've done YouTube videos and you've built up an audience, or if you have a huge social media following, or, you, or you're one of your actors does, you have some way of tapping into, this is not most filmmakers, by the way, right. but if you have some way of tapping into a larger online audience who are predisposed to watch things at home right now because of the pandemic, then you might want to go, we're just going to come out. We're just going to come out and come out right now and do, do a release right now and get, and not do festivals and try to capitalize or, you have to squat on the movie for a, a while. We actually have this problem because we shot a film last year and it's almost, it's like we have a, I'm very close to a first cut. And I've actually been kind of slowing down on it because I know we can't come out. <laughs> like, I don't want to come out. We were thinking, oh, 2021 festival circuit, 2022 release. And I'm like, we, we can't, we're going to have to wait on, at least, hang on to it for at least another year. More than that, because this film is about, uh, it's, a, it's a black comedy and one of the things it's about is uh, the grind of daily life. You know, like the grind of having to go to a job for, eight, for 10 hours and having to sit in traffic. And like, there's a whole section of the film where he's in traffic and I actually need to get some traffic pickups. I can't get the shots until there's actual traffic. So you think so it's a little dated. Yeah, so, well, it, it won't be again. It won't be in a few years. They'll, you know, right. when, when, when we've adjusted, whether people are wearing masks, but we've adjusted to life outside again and traffic's coming back, it'll be relevant, but I gotta wait for like 2022 <laughs> now for the thing to like, so um, yeah, it's, so you either need to, you know, and you know, Blaine Weaver, our, our mutual friend, Blaine Weaver has a film that he completed. It was on the festival circuit. It's on the festival circuit right now, or, or was supposed to be a slasher film called Getaway. Yeah. Uh, he's played a couple of virtual festivals, but he's, and he's done a short as well, a short called Ghosted. The short's playing, shorts are different. Shorts don't have yeah, the same distribution um, uh, um, goal, um, but, he's facing the same exact problem. Now he's also started his own distribution company and this is going to be one of the first titles from it. So he does have the option to distribute now. Uh, one suggestion that I had for him was uh, there's not a lot of films in theaters now. There's not a lot of theaters open, right. but there's a few, there's a few drive-in theaters or a few other theaters that are actually open. And if you look at the box office reports, there's a, like little indie movies are topping the box office with like, you know, number one in the box office with like seven grand. I'm like, maybe instead of doing virtual festivals, maybe you should program your film into every drive-in theater as a midnight yeah. movie and be like number one at the box office, create ads that say number one at the box office and do day and date like a month later. Like that might be actually a strategy for you and skip festivals because you have this ability to, to do that. You could four wall it and then, yeah. And then the thing the is, that, yeah. Even that's, that's, there's a pretty long tail on that approach because if you have the number one movie in the box office, mm. that's something five years from now will still be true. You still had the mm. number one movie in the box office. Yeah. And people will sort of forget when yeah. that was. They won't look, they'll be like, oh, wow, we had the number one movie in the box office. That's, that's even, to, even to the Facebook audience, still pretty impressive. You want to get Glenn yeah. from high school to rent your movie. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty those, good stat. It's one of those things where you're like, you're like, I don't know, maybe it was like a normal February when the box office is weird, you know? 
Yeah, you've been in one of the box office. I, you know, so we. And actually, it's funny. Like the the there's the drive-in here, the drive-in theater lo- closest to Los Angeles, is called the Mission Tiki Theater, and they have two screens and they run films. No, no, so they have four screens. They run double features. They're running eight movies a night. Um, they're about an hour out of LA, and uh, I don't I don't know how crowded they are, but I know they're operating, and I know that a lot of people from LA are going down there to watch movies, including some big people in the industry who are just bored. Like Guillermo yeah. del Toro is going down there to watch movies. That this is the thing you to know? do. Yeah, why not? Yeah, like Mark Dupas is going down there to watch movies. Like these people are going down to watch movies. And so I've actually written to them. <laughs> they don't have a, a book, a theater booking uh, thing on there. They do have like, they have a private event. Like you can, you can schedule a private, but like, I want like, how do I book a theater movie there? Um, so I'm trying to figure that out, but that's something where you book a film there and, you know, you chart in the box office and you could uh, get your film in front of some actually influential eyeballs during all this craziness. Which, could, which couldn't which could hurt, you know? I mean, they might see an actor in there and go, hmm, I kind of like that. And then you will be that actor's favorite person forever. Yeah, exactly. Well, they go, ah, this movie's not bad. I and mean, this guy could, you know, work in my writer's room in my show or whatever. I mean, you know, it's, it's um, but it's something to think about. Like, so he's got that same exact problem with a, a film that's two films that what do you do with them? The shorties is playing virtually, but the, the, the feature, I think it did dead center online and a few others, but Oxford what do you, online. Yeah. Like, what do you do with it? Um, the Phoenix film festival has actually delayed their event to the fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but Which we'll, is tricky because then you don't know if it's going to actually happen. And yeah. you then run into all the things that were already in the fall. Right. Like the fall's going to be weird. They have a, a, they have a unique relationship with their local venue, the Harkins theater chain, has their flagship theater in in Scottsdale is this massive, like I think it's a sixteen plex. It's like sixteen anyway. So or seventeen. So they dedicate half the theater to the festival, and the festival gets really good turnout. So they're able to the 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 the, the theater has partnered with this festival for years, and in fact, they actually they convinced the festival to expand expand it to a second weekend. Hmm. They want, like, we want more festival time because people are coming out and watching movies during weekdays, during matinees, and they're getting a lot more turnout. So they may be very, I'm sure they were the ones who were like, don't go virtual. Like, we'll yeah. accommodate you in the fall, but we don't want to lose the revenue. We'll, well the fall, they won't have any movies to show. They yeah. won't have any normal movies because. Well, or they may have a glut. They might have a glut. Because a lot yeah. of films. Some films, you know, we, we, we forget that, oh, yeah, okay, a few films premiered online, you know, Trolls World Tour or, um, uh, you know, uh, Invisible Man went, you know, to this premiere online, whatever. Uh, but, but we forget that, like, a lot of these studios held on to most of their movies. Yeah. Quiet Place 2, they're holding on to. SpongeBob, they held on to. These are big titles that are just sitting there. Tenant, you know, is not going to play. They're going to play theaters. They're going to wait. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, if you're that theater, the 15th screen is not, nobody's coming to see the 15th screen on a Wednesday matinee. Right, which is, which is, right, which is, which is how Tug, <laughs> Tug, R.I.P. Tug. Yeah. <laughs> Tug was surviving that, that, that business. They would, you know, they book theaters as they go, if you do it during a weekday, there's always a theater or two of a film that's in its six week run and it's starting, no one's going to see it. And they'll bump a screening of that if you're going to get 50 people there. Yeah, I mean, we when I programmed uh, my first feature, my only feature, in um, my hometown movie theater, I was like, look, I used to work here. I know for a fact that I will outgross five of the movies you're going to have that this yeah. week. Because I'll just run around and get everybody 
that I know to come see the movie. I'll guilt trip them into coming to see it. And yeah, yeah. they were like, okay, great. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, that only, let's go. They yeah. Go, oh, you made a movie, it's such a novel thing. Wow. Right, yeah, especially up here. It's not, you know, in LA, that's probably not gonna work as well. But in yeah. Maine, they're like, whoa, shit. You know, it's, it's LA, it's like with kids, especially because I have kids, it's like, it's like, uh, I get like two, two invites a week, or I did back when things are normal. I got, we get like two invites, like, come see my movie at the such and such. Come on. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> I can't. Well, I mean, if I was, didn't have, you know, the, 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 the obligation of being home and, you know, being around the kids, I'd be like, why, why not? You know, like when I go to festivals, I, I, I just, I just live in that theater, man. I just see everything. But it's like, yeah, it's like the third, like, I'm playing in the such and such sliding door something thing. Come see it on a Wednesday. I'm like, I can't. I have a job. So what and happened get, with Tug? I, for, I completely forgot about the Tug fiasco. Like, they, just went out, they went out of business, but they didn't tell anybody. Right. They're just like up in the middle of the night, right? Yeah. We had, uh, we, uh, with, with Cruel Hearts, uh, we had a, uh, um, our theatrical run was uh, largely tied up with Tug. Uh, we had done some Tug screenings that fall which were sold out and we did well with. And then we had arranged, you know, our day and date screens, a lot of them were tug screenings. It was, just a, it was an easier way to control the market. Um, and so we didn't, wasn't every screening, but we lied, we lay heavily on the tug uh, engine for that. And we got everything booked and we had all these screens that were sold out, ready to go. And like, a, I think a week and a half before our release, all of a sudden we were getting emails saying, uh, this take this didn't hit the threshold, so it's canceled. We're like, well, wait a minute, it was sold out. It was sold out. That's weird. And so, and Tug wasn't responding to any. I would call their emergency line. We're like, oh, must be maybe it's a glitch. And it was first, it was one screening, then it was the next screening, then it was the next screening, then it was the next screening. We're like, what's happening? Because they've been around a while too. They weren't yeah. like a new player. No answer to their phone. No response to their general email. No response to their emergency line email. Nothing. No response to anything at all. And it went on. And we talked to the venues, and they're like, "We don't know. We just know the screening was canceled. You got Tug canceled the screening. So, oops. So, I think it took about a day. And we finally we realized that we got. So there was some thing saying they were going out of business, and they still owe us money for those fall screenings. Like they still owe us quite a bit of money. Um, and like, and they're like, well, we get, I feel gonna, and, people, and people, ticket holders were getting emails saying, oh, the screenings canceled, but don't worry, you're going to get your money, you know, your, you know, or screenings, screenings canceled, but don't worry, don't worry, your credit card wasn't charged. These people's credit card were charged because the screenings were sold out. They had all been charged. So like, they're saying my credit card wasn't charged. It absolutely was charged. So we're like now running around to individual ticket holders, trying to get them to helping them, um, file claims to their credit card company for $12. Meanwhile, we're negotiating with the, with directly with the original venue saying, look, we had sold out this screening. Like we still, can we, can we make the screening still be on? Mm -hmm. Can we, we'll, we'll get everybody to buy tickets again. We'll, we're sort of trying to get people to go, you know, sorry, you bought a ticket, but can you we'll, buy another one? <laughs> yeah. And so, so we, uh, we ended up salvaging, I think three quarters of the screenings, but we basically had to eat, I mean, we had to eat all the money. Like we, we did one where they didn't charge with the theaters. Like we won't charge you as long as you hit a certain threshold of tickets, but we didn't make any money off that at all. Like, like they kept everything. Um, another one where uh, it was, it was in Albany. Uh, our is from, is from Albany and is mostly his people that had bought tickets. So he was like, he ended up paying the theater to, to run it so everybody could get in for free that had bought tickets. 
and had to pay insurance. So he ended up, he ended up making, I think he ended, they ended up making a little bit of money because people who hadn't bought tickets previously didn't worry, were, he was able to charge them for tickets through the, through the theater. Uh, but if you were a previous ticket holder, he got them in for free. So he made a little bit, but that covered the insurance and it ended up being just a, a ripe disaster. I mean, it was, a, it was it was 10 days before release. It was super embarrassing. This is all guaranteed revenue to the film th via theatrical that we lost. And these are people who, by the way, because they were going to see it theatrically, weren't going weren't gonna to be getting it online that week. They weren't going to be renting it from iTunes. They weren't gonna, so we, we lost potentially hundreds of transactions on iTunes. And you know, the more transactions you have on iTunes, the higher you go in the rankings, the higher you go on the charts and the more visible you are to, to people who haven't are stumbling across your movie. Yeah. And the more faith that iTunes has in your movie, the more they're going to make you visible and put you in a banner and keep you out where people can see you. And therefore the more money you make from people just wandering by and finding you. So it potentially rippled, could have potentially cost us tens of thousands of dollars in terms of, of, uh, you know, where we could have gone with it if we hadn't done any theatrical or if that theatrical had translated it, whatever. It was a disaster. It was a disaster. And Tug eventually got back saying, oh, sorry, we're totally broke. Can't pay anybody. We're liquidating our assets. We'll, if you have money, we owe you money. Send a claim. We'll try to... Yeah, good luck. Uh, we'll maybe send you back your DCP. Whatever. It was a, it was a, it was a disaster area. Jeez. And because fate with favor, like you did really well on iTunes. Yeah, really well on iTunes. And we did really well with Tug. We did the same thing. We did a theatrical and we did a bunch of Tug, a bunch of those were Tug screenings. And we made, pro we made, we, pro we were profitable in theaters. So for Fluorescent Beast, what do you do with that then? When that comes out, do you, obviously Tug's not an option. Right. There are other ones. We'll see. We'll see. The landscape distribution changes so quickly. Right. I mean, who knows what what's going to be. be movie theaters? Too. There might not be movie theaters. No, seriously, there might not be movie theaters. There might not be. It's going to be a very different um, uh, world. There's a there's all the kinds of new players coming up in distribution now, and Blaine starting a company, and you know, so we, you don't know. It's funny. What, you mentioned official rejection earlier. There was a um, a guy who wanted to potentially finance a sequel dealing with distribution. Hmm. And I said, I, I don't think it'll work. And he goes, why? I said, I, I don't think I could make the film fast enough for the information in it to still, because official rejection is, you know, it came out 11 years ago. I mean, it's a while ago, but the right. information in that film, the tech is a little old, you know, people right. are sitting in DVD screeners and stuff, but the, uh, the information still, Screener. yeah. And, 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 it's, and, and instead of film freeway, it's, it's um, without a box is right. the submission service, but the information in official rejection is still, mostly valid. I mean, Sundance and is still there. It's, it's still, yeah, the way that festivals work, the politics, all that stuff is it's still a primer. It's still a really valid look at what happens. Um, a, distrib a distribution documentary would be out of date if, if I was editing for six months. I mean, it's crazy. Like when we, when, when we would have been shooting that was when Kevin Smith sold Red State. Do you remember this? He sold Red State to himself. Kevin Smith yeah. had his film Red State at Sundance. Mm -hmm. And he did a, um, he said, we're going to screen the film, we're going to premiere it, we're going to have a bidding war on stage at the Q&A. So all these distributors piled into the theater, ready to bid on this movie right after the world premiere. And he sold it to himself for a dollar on stage as a, <laughs> as a screw you to distributors. And, uh, and was like, oh, I believe in this film and I'm going to put it out myself. I'm going to start my own distribution company. This is how I'm going to work from now on. 
because I doubled in on myself and I could do it with, I could do a road show of it because I had this, that, and the other. And um, he did one movie and then never did it again because he decided it was too much work. I, I don't know what, I mean, the film was profitable. Yeah. But he had, to do, he had to tour the movie and do all this work for it. And now he hasn't done that ever again. A lot of work. The way he did it doesn't really exist anymore. Yeah, like you, your movie, your distribution movie would, in the time it went through the festival circuit and was ready for distribution. Yeah. Would be obsolete. Be obsolete. It wouldn't yeah. make. Yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't make sense anymore. You know, like we have new players all the time. Like Tubi is a new player in distribution. Uh, you play with Tubi, which is where Favor is playing. Favor, you can see Favor on Tubi right now. You can watch. I watched it again on Tubi the other day. Thank you. <laughs> it was. You're welcome. And it was really weird. Like it was crazy how vivid all the memories from the shoot were. Right. You know, like there's a scene in that house. And I'm like, oh, I remember the pool behind the house mm -hmm. and all these other things. And that was, I mean, how many years ago did we shoot that? We shot that 2011. 2011. So like nine years and it was just, just flooding back. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Oh, isn't it? So more, more than ever, I'm really like film is such a time, such a time machine. Like it's, I watched the great escape last night, um, which I, a film I love and I've seen throughout my whole life, but I, the criterion Blu-ray came out and I last night I, I forced my son to sit through it. And uh, we, uh, we watch it. And it's a 57-year-old movie. Everybody in this film is dead. Everybody in this movie, yeah. except Dick, David McCallum, who's on, who's, on, who's on NCIS right now, I think, uh, is dead. And, um, and, you know, but I'm like, Steve McQueen's like 33 in this movie, you know? And he's vivid there like, right as day. And I'm like, oh, this is a, it's amazing. Like, this guy would be 90 right now if he was alive. This is an amazing, it's, it's, it's an incredible, yeah. Or I watched, um, I watched the, the, uh, the French Connection a few days ago. And I'm watching 1971 New York, and it's just, it's incredible. You look back there, and it's like, this is a time machine. Like, you can really travel back and see what it was like back then. And especially if you work on a film, it really, it brings you, it, take, it transports you back when yeah. you watch it. Yeah, it's yeah. frightening. Yeah, it was just, it was crazy. Like, I'm like, oh, look, there's Paul's house, and that's, there's the desert where we get to bring our own dirt. And like, <laughs> and then, so, but then it's also hard to like judge the film because like, so the dirt scene, mm -hmm. I'm looking at that and I'm like, well, that's clearly the dirt we brought in. Clearly. Yeah. But then I'm thinking, I'm trying to think, I'm like, if I didn't know that. If you, if you unearthed dirt from the ground and you put it back down. Yeah. You know, in the desert, the dirt underneath is darker because it's, it's dark. got some moisture in it and the stuff on top isn't. But yeah, but if you know that dirt's brought in, you're like, that's just a big dirt mound. That's just dirt they brought in. That's just not even dirt. dirt. <laughs> like, like cartoonishly dumped in the desert. Yeah. But then, no. you know, like if I don't know that, if I'm watching the movie, is that going to jump out at me? I know where like you can see wires and stuff. Like you can see our, yeah. <laughs> like if you look at that light real carefully, you can see our, one of our light panels reflected. Like you can, <laughs> I know that movie. I, so I, I, I go through a thing with any movie I do is like where I'm, I'm editing and I, I really get to hate the film towards the end. Oh yeah. Like I, like I really get, like I hate it. Like I want to like throw the hard drive out the window and stomp on it. Like, like the way they treat the printer in office space, like take it to the yard and bash it. I always you know? felt like, cause I haven't made anything in forever, but I always felt like I would hate it for a very long time. And then when I started to not hate it anymore, mm -hmm. you know, then I was like, okay, I think it's almost done. <laughs> like, oh, that was the point. Or it was sort of round into shape. And I'm like, okay, okay, no, this might work. People might not yell at me if I make them work. Right. And then you're like, okay, I think, I think we're, we're on to something. 
and that's sort of like the when I the light at the end of the tunnel for it for me. So your curve ends early. My hate, my hate extends through through like showing the movie. Yeah. Like oh no, I can't it. watch the movie. Like like I like I can't sit during in a theater to watch the film for the first like year. I gotta like stand in the vestibule like pace, and no, I I've hate never, it. I sit there and I like never drink. Movie I made with an audience ever. No, I said I do. I do. I watch the audience. I'm always I'm always interested in how they're gonna react, but I can't yeah. look at the screen because I'm like ugh. So I, I go through a whole like. I, I'm in the I takes lobby. about a year, and then I'm like, then I'm like, okay with it. I'm like, okay. I'm in the lobby, like trying to hear things. Yeah. You know, but I can't, yeah. can't be in the rooms. No. Well, the worst is that you know I have to get up in front of a Q and A. I have to submit the film to festivals, mm-hmm. and be like, play our movie. It's great. I'm like, I don't believe a word of what I'm word of what I'm saying. I'm like, you'll love it. I feel like I'm so sorry. And then like I have to like can talk to talk to you know journalists about the movie talk to do q and a's and be like talk about you know oh the cat you know and i focus on things i like like i always right. like i've been fortunate enough to work with some really great casts and crews and you know we our no asshole policy on set seems to be seems to work like you were in you were on set with favor like it was a really good time everybody got I was along the only and, asshole there <laughs> oh. no you were our asshole <laughs> um but i guess that, that that's that that set was very much like the other sets that I've run. Like everybody seems to get along. There's no poison pills. Everybody's kind of happy. And, and so I always try to, and the Q and A's, I can't, I can, I can drum up real passion for my people. Sure. <laughs> I, I, really really I love them. I feel bad because I made them work on this movie that I hate. Um, so I have to, I have to angle it to pretend, to pretend to drum up enthusiasm for the first year. After the first year, I usually go back and go, that's okay. That's like, good. Favor, I can watch now, no problem. And I actually really like, there's still a couple of scenes I have, I have a hard time because we had to ADR them. Mm-hmm. And I, I suffer through them, but I can watch that. What's really hilarious on Tubi is ads. they select, they, well, the ads are fun, but they select a random, and by the way, Tubi, for those of you who don't know, is a free ad-supported streaming service that anybody can get. You can even need to be a member. Like, you can get a free membership so you can save your your cues and stuff, but you can just download it to your Apple TV, put it on your smartphone, watch on your on your browser, any any device. There's a lot of really good movies and and a lot of really trashy fun movies. Like it's pretty got a pretty good library of non-Netflix stuff and it's ad ad supported. And it's so I really like Tubi. I I go there all the time. I I vacillate between Tubi and Criterion Channel. I feel like watch something really trashy and then watch it really fine and trash like have a cheeseburger and then have like a steak um but on on tubi they select a random still or at least they did to be the background on on the favor page banner for the movie favor so if you see it as a random still and it's a still of my wife who has one scene in the movie as an actor drinking wine so like doesn't that blaine doesn't doesn't any of the stars of the film it's just got my wife in her one scene with wine in her face. And that's hysterical. It's really a shame that they didn't select a still of Joe and I pretending to be Patrick and Blaine. Right. In that garage. Because yeah. that would have really confused people. If you get the DVD, that's on there. You know that, right? Is it on the DVD? If you get the DVD, Party Favor, the, the half an hour documentary making of Favor is on it. And uh, yeah, that's in there. It's got you and, and Joe, nice. the boom man, impersonating the two lead actors and it's got the two lead actors impersonating you back to back it's got both i'm pretty sure i have the dvd somewhere in- it's on there yeah party party yeah. You, actually if you want to talk about memories because party favor we did this with with cruel arts as well we made a, doc, a behind the scenes documentary that's kind of incorporates bloopers and incorporates outtakes mm-hmm. so it's a very fun 
kind of integrated comedic behind the scenes look, but you'll be like, you'll recognize all this stuff. <laughs> I should watch that sometime. Yeah, that's that's. Well, there's there's stills that you took in the documentary, and we credit a year without rent. Oh yeah, on screen. Yeah. Yeah, I every so often we'll see some of those pictures like floating around the internet. It's a nice little nostalgia boost. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I have a I have a question about favor and cruel hearts because I watched cruel hearts also on Prime. Oh. Yay. Why did you kill Blaine in Cruel Hearts? What? Because there's... In oh, you did you notice that? Wow. I noticed that. I, oh, I got a great story about that. I actually went and, like, I heard it because I was here at work. Oh, and that's was, good. Like, you picked up. While yeah. I was working, and I heard it, and I'm like, wait, no, wasn't that his... I'm like, that was one of the characters in Favors, and I went and looked it up. And I was like, yeah, that was a character. Yeah, favor. yeah, that's an Easter egg. So, okay, so those of you who don't know, Blaine's character gets away with some pretty terrible things in favor, Blaine Weaver's character, and and, and he kind of wins in favor. So in Cruel Hearts, one of the characters in Cruel Hearts is, an, is kind of a news junkie, and he's constantly listening to news, flipping channels, listening to news. So we had to create all these fake news reports that he's listening to. And we got some real news people to do, and, real, and radio announcers to do some of those news reports. Um, so we had one that was... Uh, a news report about a, body, a, a dead body being being identified, and it was identified as as Blaine's character Kip Desmond from Cruel Heart, from Favor. So, if you watch Cruel Hearts, as an Easter egg of Favor, saw ending a story point in Favor. So it's, it's a little, anyway, it's a it's a great, it's a it's a funny. It, you're, a few people have picked up on it, but what's really hilarious in the Paul Osborne multiverse, yeah, cinematic universe, he 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 dies in this one. Yeah. So yeah. So so, I got a great story about that. So um, Blaine Weaver, the lead actor in uh, Favor, is a good friend of mine, and he's also a Zima filmmaker. Enthusiast, he's, huh? Zima enthusiast. Zima enthusiast. That Zima flowing man. Uh, he uh, he's uh, he's a he's an actor. He's also a writer. He's also a director. Um, so and he's a real good friend of mine. So um, he and I collaborate a lot we've written scripts together we show each other each other's work and you know i'll punch up his stuff i'll punch up my stuff so uh when we we had cruel hearts and i was trying to lock in on 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 lock picture on the final edit um what i would do is i'd have screenings over at the house and so i'd bring people over whose opinion i valued and they'd watch the film and in the living room and then we talk about it afterwards and i'd get some notes and i would go back and i'd do it again so i brought blaine in Blaine and another friend of mine, Eddie Jemison, in uh, for like the second to last pass to look at this thing. And they hadn't seen anything uh, of the movie. I think Blaine had read the script. But, um, and I like to do it in person where they can sit, I can watch them. Because I can, you can feel the reaction in the room. They'll give you their opinions afterwards, but you can tell where it's slow. You can tell where it's moving along just by sitting behind people watching a movie and feeling their energy. So Blaine's sitting there in, in the, in on my couch i'm literally right behind him in a chair just like watching and that scene's coming up where they mention that kip desmond is dead his character from from favor so i'm watching him i'm thinking he's gonna laugh i'm thinking he's gonna like like or something or i'm hoping he'll notice you know right so i'm watching him and it comes up and they know kip you know the body's been identified as kip desmond and blah blah blah, blah. and he turns to me just this is what he does he turns to me he just goes he just goes like I'm dead. Of these big, these big sad puppy dog eyes. I'm dead. Like he was really expecting a sequel to Favor. 
And it took me totally by surprise that he was so hurt. So I went, as far as they know. That was, <laughs> I, I had to spin it. That there was more to the story that, that maybe he faked his death or could have faked his death. Yeah. So I had to spin it so that he had some hope to hang on to, but it was just well, hilarious. He well, was so hurt. We don't know how much time is in between these two movies. Right. You know, so right. there's there's time for a sequel in there. There could be a prequel. Right. You could do all sorts of things. There's a couple of Easter eggs in, in Cruel Hearts. There's um there's a, a 10 till noon poster. I saw that, yeah. In one room. Uh one point uh, our news joke is flipping channels and he's listening to he's watching television shows. And one of them he's listening to a clip from official rejection. Mm-hmm. And he's listening to a clip from 10 till noon. Mm-hmm. And uh I was gonna put in a clip from a Gary King movie, but I couldn't clear the music in it. So I put in it's me pretending to be Richard Simmons. Uh, doing an exercise video. But uh, yeah, there's a few things. So in the cinematic universe, the favor Cruel Hearts cinematic universe, in that universe, they watch 10 Till Noon and Official Rejection. At the, so in, there's a poster so, in an office. Yeah, so, so 10 Till Noon is not a, the characters in 10 Till Noon are not characters in favor. In favor, that's a movie that they watch. Those are fictional characters in the favor universe. Okay. I yeah. think I followed that. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> it's amazing it's, the things that like we just do to entertain ourselves, and we're like, no one will notice this, right? No, but like you're in a room staring at this thing for so long, right? This, is, like, this oh, is fun. It, yeah. Well, it's, it's, well with, with in *Fluorescent Beast*, we had a, a bar scene, and we needed stuff on this. There's TVs in the bar. There's two big prominent televisions on either side of the bar, and it's like, what do you put there? Like normally, sporting events would be up there. Right. Something. Well, I got to put something up there that we own. And in this scene is Blaine Weaver in this bar scene that influenced me. So I can't put favor up there. Right. And I don't want to put official rejection up there because it's, I only have a standard deaf master. These are HD televisions. It's going to look weird. So 10 till noon, it's playing <laughs> in this bar. Well, the other thing you could do there is you could just like put someone else's movie in there and mm-hmm. it'll be like a trailer before for someone else's thing, like for a Gary King movie, like yeah. on mute or something yeah. like that. In, in Favor, we had a, uh, um, there's a scene where they're in a bar and there's, we try to get rid of all the product signs. And it was when we missed, there's a Michelob sign in the background behind Blaine's head in a couple of shots. And so the uh, visual effects artist working in the movie was also an independent filmmaker. He had a film coming out. And I said, why don't you just cover that with a poster for your movie? And so he did. Yeah, he put, his, he put a little, practice for his own film back there which helps sweeten the sweeten the deal on on the money (laughs) he did those shots for free strangely enough yeah so what was so for fluorescent beast you so favor and um and cruel hearts you shot both of them but for fluorescent beast zach shot it right zach forsman yeah yeah what was like how was that different for you as a director that that process uh, it was, it was great. It was, it was great. Zach was, Zach is, well, I mean, I know and trust Zach. Right. My, the, the reason I shot Favor and Cruel Hearts is I used to be, this is a long story, but I used to be, uh, I used to work in production on the crew side when I was a young man and I was an AD, uh, for a few years doing independent films, commercials, whatever. Um, and I just seen if anybody on a crew is, look, there's a lot of great DPs out there, but if anybody on a crew is going to be a problem, it's 
almost always going to anybody who's who's not willing to work under the under the parameters we all have to work under i've found more often than not is going to be the dp mm -hmm. for whatever reason like the you know everybody's working under 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 certain no one ever has enough money no one ever has enough gear no one ever has enough time we're all trying to do the best we can the actors are like okay i only have this much time to learn my lines i have this much time to do this scene i have this much time to do this everybody's working the best they can under these things i've seen about as a young man in my early 20s working in crews everything from student films that i was hired on to four or five million dollar movies i'd say about 60 percent of the time the director of photography caused massive delays by being overly precious about things that don't really matter to anyone but them. Mm -hmm. Often it was younger directors of photography who were more concerned about their reel than they were about, about making their day. Uh, I worked on a John Travolta movie where they fired the DP halfway through shooting because he was taking too long and they hired um, uh, uh, Bruce Surtees to take over who was, equally as good and got things done on time and was totally, you know, he knew what he was doing and he got done more quickly. Um, Bruce told me um, that it was funny. I, I was working as a, as a, a, a key PA on that movie. I was just under the AD department because it was a, so I was, I was the guy offset, right? Like here's a set door and here's me going rolling <laughs> cut. And so the crew outside the set could hear what was happening. I had my headphones, headphones on. DP was always inside. This is my first feature that I worked on. And the, you know, the DP that was fired was always operating. He was always on set when they were shooting. This time, this is Bruce's first day. I'm standing here and they, I hear, okay, we're rolling. And Bruce walks out. He walks over to craft service. He's not <laughs> operating. He doesn't give a shit. And I go, oh, they're shooting you. He's like, yeah, I'm aware. I go, aren't you on set? He's like, I don't want to fucking be on set. So he, and he, I learned a lot about how DPs operate from him. And he said always, he goes, if you want to be faster, have less stuff. He referred to gear as toys. He goes, have less, he goes, because if a DP has toys, they're gonna to wanna to play with the toys. Mm -hmm. So don't have toys you don't need if you wanna speed things up. And so I found that was absolutely true. And so I, you know, I, on 10 till noon, our direct photography, uh, Alice Brooks, who is a really talented DP. She's working with Lin-Manuel Miranda right now, uh, or she was, she was right before the uh, pandemic. Right. But she caused massive delays on that film. Um, and she, there was a one, if you see 10 to noon, there's a shot where the camera's on a uh, monitor and the camera pulls back to reveal two people look, watching the monitor and it pulls back into a wide shot. It's a great shot. So the way the shot was achieved was, uh, you know, we, we were shooting low budget movie, obviously, and Alice had gotten uh, a doorway dolly which is essentially, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a simple dolly. It's a flat piece of particle board on, a, on wheels with a pulley. There's usually no track. And you just put a camera on a hi-hat right on the dolly. There's no, there's no rigging, there's no like gears, there's no spider dolly, there's no track, it's just very simple. Um, and so all you do is you, we're in a hotel room, so you flip the bed out of the way, you put the camera on the, on the dolly track, on the doorway dolly, no dolly track, and you just have the, 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 the Keep pull you back and you achieve the shot. You pull focus, very simple to do. She went to Scott and said, I can build 
a rigging above the bed. So instead of the camera pulling back where the bed is, the camera can pull back over the bed. So the bed's in the bottom of the frame. We're pulling over like it's a landscape. I can just build this rig. And he goes, well, how much longer is that going to take you? She's like, eh, 10, 10, 20 minutes. No problem. I'll build the rig. He's like, oh, we get a 10% cooler shot. Great. We don't need it, but great. Do it. Okay. Five hours later, they're still building the rig. Six hours in, they have it built. We're ready for lunch. We haven't got a single shot the whole day. We've lost half a day of our shoot on a 20-day shoot. Yeah. She's, the thing's not working. It's bouncing. It's, it's, she's like, I, she can't figure out what the problem is. And like, the doorway dolly shot would have taken 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like, take this thing down as fast as you can and do the shot with the doorway dolly. We had to break for lunch. Hour and a half after lunch, eight hours in now, they finally get the thing torn down and the doorway dolly set up and they're ready for her to do the shot. Now I'm assuming she's learned some lessons because she was a very young DP at that time and she's a very good DP. But uh, yeah, I saw, I, I saw her uh, just take down, just costs thousands of dollars, costs us an entire day of production essentially for a shot we didn't even get because it would look 10% cooler because it would look cool on her reel. And I've seen, I know, I've just seen, I, I, I've seen DPs do amazing work and work within the parameters and do great stuff. Uh, I can, I, you know, I've seen DPs, but I've seen DPs tank movies. And so with both Favor and Cruel Hearts, I was like, I didn't have a DP that I trusted that knew the work of. I mean, there are several that I know and I'm like, I know you know how to work within the limitations that we're all facing. Right. And you can make it look good. And you're not, and you're not gonna, you're not gonna cost me my coverage for a cool master shot put on your reel. You're going to help me make, you're a storyteller. You're going to help me tell a story. There are a lot of them, but they have to be available to work on the movie with that and willing to work under the, under the costs and conditions we're in on a little independent movie. So it's much easier for me to shoot the film myself, make sure we get the coverage that we need and make sure we get the film done. Um, with Fluorescent Beast, I was planning to do that again, but Zach was posting about a camera he bought online and he went, I said, how's the camera? And he goes, it's so good. I love shooting with it so much. I'll shoot your next movie for free. And I'm like, you stupid idiot. It's in writing now. It's happening. <laughs> That's doing a contract. It. It's a contract. So he, but he did it. And Zach, you know, Zach is really talented. And he, okay. you know, he's way better shooter than me. Um, but he also is a, a director and a, a, an excellent one, a storyteller. So he's, he's not going to waste time doing something we don't need he's right. going to be efficient and get things done and he did and there were times that we had to you know he, things weren't working and we had he had to hold us up to get the shot right fine that's great that's what dp is supposed to do but he didn't it, was, it didn't come at the expense of the production of, of, of the overall he worked he was willing to work under the parameters every dp that ever lived is now going to hate me because of this podcast um uh but it's but it's true like and you know i at length discussions with bruce about about DPs doing this. He goes, yeah, it happens a lot because a lot of young ones are really trying to make their bones and they, they get this ownership of the image that's unshakable. Um, and then and, and other cameras have done it. Actors certainly have held up productions because of their things. I have stories about Gary Busey that are nuts. And I have, but, but I just found directors of photography, unless you have a really good relationship with them, it's really rolling the dice. And on a, on a film where there is so little money and no contingency, you know, that relationship has to be really rock solid because not only 
so you have to rely on them to make your days but they now have they also have the footage in their hands as well so you can't just like it's not working see you later like mm -hmm. you don't get your first you lose your first tears that you're doing all together you really have to be, so with someone with zach it was great and zach, there were days that zach couldn't be there uh and uh chris sharp another friend of mine filled in for zach shooting uh and it worked out really well like it was it was a great experience it was terrific to have him shoot and not have to worry about that and be able to um and also to collaborate on the image, to be able to have a relationship with someone where I go, that he goes, you know, I can do better with them. I, I know what you're going for. What about this? Oh, that is better. You know, or is that going, maybe we can pick this up. You might want this. And I go, I didn't think about that. Let's get that, you know, and, and come up with, with things that, that um, you know, on a, on a film set, like, you know, I, I think you feel the same way. Like, my job as a director is to have is, is to identify the best idea it's not to have the best idea it's to find the best idea and it does not have to be mine at all and the more people you have who who are smart you should be the dumbest person on the set if you can be because they're all going to have good ideas yeah and and so you know zach was again you know this is why you shouldn't shoot yourself if you if you can if you have someone who can who's really good they're going to come up with stuff that I didn't think of and ends up being really valuable in the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's almost impossible to hire, to have good people working on your film and not have the film be better because yeah, it's going to have different ideas than you do because of how the world works. As long as you as the filter don't aren't are open to their ideas, you know, right. you have to be able to, and that's the, the real trick of directing any, anything is that you have to be, have a rigid plan, you know, I mean, I, I do a lot of homework before any shoot day, but to know it so well, you're willing to throw it away if something isn't working or if a better idea comes up and to be able to recognize when that idea is better and is better for the movie. Cause some ideas are good, but they're not better for the film. Right. You know, for what you're going for, have a, a clear vision that's really specific, but that is also, uh, also not specific, also more, um, more uh, uh, um, uh, esoteric, and that you can go, okay, well, that actually feeds into the idea better. That's an improvement. And that's really the, the challenge. And, and doing, making a documentary really helped me uh, find that groove to be loose. Because that's when we, the documentary, you're kind of, you're sort of, as you shoot, you're going, I can use this here, I can use this here. And you're finding the film, you know, you're, it's being written, edited and shot kind of all in at one time. And that allowed me to let go of things as a narrative director and go, okay, I can incorporate this, incorporate this and, and to recognize things that are different. I always felt that like the job of the director is that you have to know the thing on like a deep, deep, deep level. Yeah. Like four or five steps beyond what anybody yeah. else in the film has even yeah. thought about. Like, did you have to know that this movie that's, you know, ostensibly a comedy about farts, that you know it's really about a child's alienation? Mm -hmm. And no one would ever think that, and no one would ever make that connection, but that's the thing that's driving the film and is driving every single thing about the film. So you have to know then when people are throwing ideas at you all day, you have to be able to go, no, 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 yes, that one. Right. Because you know what the, really the film is truly about at the deepest level. Yeah. And that's where I think that your job is to surround yourself with really talented people and be able to say that idea is amazing and it is wrong for this movie. Yeah. 
you know, yeah. and you well, don't, I, even in ways you can't even explain, you just have to know that that is wrong for this movie. And then you go, let's, then you file it away and you're like, maybe on the next one. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I think what Francis Ford Coppola talks about having one word for every movie. So yeah. we can always gauge that word against any idea. And like for the Godfather it was family. Like mm -hmm. that, this film's about family, 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 family. So anything that would come up, which one is, is the most family? For me, yeah. it's more of an abstract idea. It's more of a feel of the movie. This movie feels like this in my head. This is the vibe. And that, at that point, it's like the idea fit the vibe or no. And then does it fit the vibe better than the other thing? And that goes with casting and everything else. With, with Fluorescent Beast, because we haven't, no one's seen that yet. That's a, it's, it's a really different, it's not a crime thriller. It's a really different movie for me. It's a, it's a surreal black comedy. What terrible the, thing does Patrick Day do in this one? He, he's got a whole, like, I gave him, okay, I gave him, uh, um, he's got a, a 10 page scene where he's pretty much monologuing the whole time. And then he's got four other scenes where he absolutely monologues the whole time. So I gave him like, in, in Cruel Hearts, he has, he plays a almost mute character. He like, he broods, he's a thug. He doesn't really do a lot of talking. He's, you know, he's much more quiet. In, uh, in, in Fluorescent Beast, he, he's like, it's like, it's like, Sterling Hayden in, in, in Strange Love, just pages and pages and pages of like these Patty Chayesky level. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, I really like the dialogue, but I gotta remember how much. And we actually broke it up over several months. Hmm. So we wouldn't have to, we shot it in pieces so we wouldn't have to <laughs> have it all. Um, it's so that's the nice he is compared to how he's portrayed in your films. Yeah, like he's, he's, he's knew him from your films. You'd be like, "Wow, this guy, man!" He teaches children. He teaches ch acting to children. It's like that's his bread and butter, man. He's a, he's a sweetheart. Um, so that that so that film with, with *Fluorescent Beast*, you know, it was an abstract idea of sort of the surreal comedic vibe. Like it's somewhere between *Eraserhead*, *Barton Fink*, and *After Hours*. And this is a film where a, where a lot of ideas evolved during the shooting like we had we had this thing we did but like i don't know like i didn't i didn't openly i wasn't like saying hey everybody come up with ideas but you know uh I, we, we had a vibe on set where it was like let's come up with ideas like let's 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 improve on this let's keep pushing this and we came up with and then we invented a whole color scheme idea kind of just naturally evolved from how something something that appeared on the first set we shot in and Zach pointed it out. It was a, it was a, a red door, and so red became this thing. We were able to find ways to start incorporating red. It became part of the the, the ongoing uh, art direction, and we started finding. We became this whole thing. Where we were starting to color code scenes. Um, what was on set based on the characters' like allegiance to a certain other character, and like we created this whole. I don't know. It was it it, it evolved very quickly through wardrobe. Alina was our wardrobe person again through art direction through uh, the performances, like this whole, all these ideas started coming out that weren't on the page. And they all came from the crew. They all came from the crew and the actors and, and people kind of spitballing on these ideas. And it was all because for whatever reason, we all had the same abstract idea in our head we could chase down. And it's hard to explain, it was a vibe. You know? right. um, but that was a, a really kind of magical thing that happened on, on the set of that movie. Cool, and so that's coming out, who knows when? 
2022, hopefully. 2020-something. I have a 92-minute cut, and I'm uh, goal-bricking right now on the sound design of music. So Nice. I'm excited to see that because, like, Zach, I think, is insanely talented. Insanely talented. So, And I think that'll be an interesting – because you have a very, like, like dark sort of worldview in your films. Um, and I think pairing that with Zach's visual sense will be really interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's got a much, I'm, I'm much more about handheld, usually. I really like the, the lived in kind of like, it feels alive to me. And Zach is much more smooth um, uh, uh, looking, his stuff looks, tends to look, you know, it tends to be locked down or on, you know, dollies or sliders, tends to be much more smooth uh, that way. And um, originally I had uh, planned to do a lot more handheld in this movie. And I was like, I was, I, in fact, we actually broke it down to like different locations. Like in this location, all handheld. This location, let's be on sticks. This location, let's do this. And we started doing that. And, but, you know, again, you, you know, with, with, with DP, it's like watching an actor. You know, you, you sort of, as you get to know them as a performer, you sort of tend to re, you tend to re-engineer what they're doing you know, or re-ask them different things. So with Zach, it was like, I was asking him to shoot handheld and he does a great job, but I'm like, he really is finding the thing more on sticks or on dollies. And so like, as we shot, I'm like, let's just, let's, let's do this on sticks. Like, what do you think, Zach? Like, do you, I think you're going to find it, find what you're doing faster on sticks. And it's going to be, you're going to be communicating more as an artist on sticks. So we, the film has a much smoother look to it than when Lindsay done before. And uh, I really like the way it looks. Like Zach did a, a tremendous job. And he is crazy talented. He uh, hasn't directed a film, a feature film, since Down and Dangerous, wow. which was, I think, 2012. Yeah. And I, I keep telling like, Zach, I'll, I'll write for you, man. Like, what can I do to make it happen? Like, I'm, I'm, I, as a fan, I want him to do more stuff. Yeah. Like, I'll write for you for free. I'll, I'll, what do you want me to do? Like, what can, I, what can I do to help this happen? So he's, he claims he's getting back on the horse, so. All right. So last question. You work a lot with, uh, between uh, Zach and Blaine. Um, and I think Patrick directs, cause he directs at least for his day job. Do you find it's helpful to work with, collaborate with people who also direct? Oh yeah. Does that, does that make things, does that sort of grease the wheels? Yeah. I almost, I almost look for it. <laughs> you know, it's almost like it, it definitely, um, they become, well, they know what your job is. And so they're even if they're not thinking about your job they're thinking about your job so like, well, with hiring zach as a dp that was a big appeal to me not only did i know him personally but he's a he's a as you mentioned, he's a immensely talented director and storyteller so it's like i can lean on him you know as he's shooting the movie like are we telling the story you know he came up with great ideas blaine is a director it's the same thing um patrick is a director it's the same thing anybody who uh, directs as a director, it makes your job a lot easier because they're aware of what you're doing. And you can also, um, with some actors, you know, uh, you have to, um, okay, if you need an actor to stand over by the window in a scene because that's where there's better light uh, and it's going to look cooler, with some actors, you can say to them, I want you to stand over here because it's better light and it's going to look cooler. And the, the actors you do that with tend to be actors you also direct because they get it and they'll come up with something like they'll need a reason to cross to that window, right. but they'll do it themselves. They'll go, okay, you need me to cross that window. And they'll come up with something. Cause they know, but with other actors who don't direct, 
and, and not all of them. Like John Woods is a star of Fluorescent Beast, and he's, I don't know that he's directed, but he's, um, he's a, I don't think he has, but he's, a, he's one of those actors that you can say that to. I, it just looks cool, be over here. And he'll come up with something. He's the most utilitar utilitarian actor I've ever worked with, I think. He's just like, you can throw him into anything. He doesn't even need an eyeline. Like, yeah. you know, Patrick Day, almost any actor, they need, okay, I need something to look at to react to. Camera can be right here, but give me some, give me a person here mm -hmm. so I can find it. John, you can put the camera right here. You put the camera here, you can be tapping him on the back of the head, you can be pouring coke on his nipples, and he'll find it. Because he's just, he's like an army man. He's just like a Swiss army man. He's just like, he can do, you can, you can play, make him do anything. Um, but a lot of actors, you'll need a reason them to step over to that window. And if you tell them it looks cool, that won't help them. That'll take it, they'll take, they'll take them out of it. So you gotta come up with a reason why you want them to go over there. And I can usually do that, but that's, Actors who have directed tend to be easier in that regard. The technical things, you don't have to justify as much to them. They get it right away. And, um, and they tend to be a little more um, uh, self-servicing in that way. And also, as you're building a scene, they're kind of looking at what you're doing, and they do come up with suggestions that, that do uh, invariably pull on their experience as directors. And again, like I... I'm delighted if someone comes up with a better idea than I had. I get to take credit for it. Yeah. I mean, directing for me, uh, Johnny Mars was like that is you could just ask him to do anything. And he's yeah. like, yeah. and cause he has worked in every capacity and yeah. he would shoot a scene and then he would run off in, he'd jump in a car and go do a location scout. Right. While you're shooting a scene that he's not in. Yeah. And it's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Like, you know, uh, Blaine Weaver in, in, in Fluorescent Beasts, we shot a scene in a bar where he's, he's, the scene is he's slamming back like whiskey. He's just, he's just pow, pow, just, just taking these tumblers and just pulling them down. And it's, it's shocking how much he's drinking. So this bar was available to shoot in only between close and reopen. So we had this bar was in, I live in Burbank. This bar was in um, Echo Park, I think. Um, not close. So uh, we had to shoot between, and then we got there, we load, I think we loaded in at 2 a.m. And we had to load out at 7 a.m., right? That was it. So that was our window. So we, so Blaine was here, he was staying with me. So he was uh, 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 sleeping here. So we had to get up at one to leave by 1.30 to be on set by two. So he's got a cold. So I can literally hear him in the next room coughing his brains out. We went to bed at like 9, 9 p.m. <laughs> and at one point I even text him like, you okay? He's like, I'm good. To get up at 2 a.m. to go to set to shoot this scene. Now he's not shooting real whiskey. The stuff he's shooting is, uh, is uh, organic iced tea. It looks the right way. It's organic, but it's still warm iced tea that he's now slugging back every take he's shooting back three glasses of it <laughs> we're shooting with one camera so we're getting a wide we're getting a medium we're getting a close we're getting at least three takes do the math of how many times he slams he's slamming back belly fulls of warm iced tea at now three in the morning on no sleep doing five pages of dialogue 
he would he go, you guys, great, we got we got this one. Okay, we're gonna move camera. I'm gonna use the restroom. Go back. He'd throw his <laughs> throw up. Oh. Empty his stomach. He's buzzing on the caffeine and the sugar from the iced tea, trying to do this shit. So that was uh, that was Blaine Weaver on the set of that movie. That sounds like Blaine Weaver. Yeah. Whenever it's and he's, and he's not complaining. He's just doing it the whole time. And I'm like, are you okay? He's like, no, no, I'm not. I feel I feel pretty bad. You go ready to go again? Let's go again. Yeah. No, I got it. No, but I'm good. I got it. I got it. I'm good. We finally moved, we finally moved the coverage off of him, and he's just doing the lines off camera. He's still miming the slug backs of the iced tea, but he would forget sometimes. So they're still bringing him the full can cups of iced tea because that the temperature he's putting in front of him. So we see the iced tea coming towards him, but we don't see actually him. He has an empty glass. He can mime slugging back, but he's forgetting, and he was still slugging back the iced tea off camera. Oh, all right, all right, Paul. Thank you so much for joining me. Sure. Cruel Hearts yeah. is on Amazon Prime. It's a lot of fun. Um, you'll enjoy it. it has, Thank you. Um, Jan from the office is in it, and yeah, it's a good, it's a good time. <laughs> Thank you Thank so much. You.